Yeah, what is this? This is not a great quality recording. You're listening to Joke So Funny, the podcast. Hello, Jokes of Funny, the podcast. This is John Lewis, your host. Uh, really grateful for all you guys listening. That's super cool. If you would do one more thing to make me uber grateful, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Those are really nice because it's nice to see that people are listening to the podcast. And also, it helps us move up in the charts, which is really cool. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. Best. Hello. This is John Lewis. And here's my co-host, Kendall. Kendall? Okay, he's not saying anything, I guess. Um, that's all right. I'm going to just kind of guide this thing for now. Um, this is Jokes So Funny, the podcast. If you haven't already, please drop us a rating and review on iTunes. Those are super nice. And uh, shout out to a very kind person that wrote us an email thanking us for the podcast and uh, called us funny and said some other nice things. Actually, she gave a nice shout out to you, Daniel, which I thought was really sweet. So which line was it? Was it the abuse line? Like yeah. we're, okay, that's, that's what. See, the funny I, line was directed at me. Okay, right. And the then, abuse line was directed at you. I'm assuming. Yeah, because it was like I was thinking that when I read that, I was like, oh, it's so great to hear of someone that went through all that abuse growing up and mm-hmm. who's making something of themselves. And mm-hmm. I was like, lady, you don't really know me. You just hear my voice. Yeah. But it made me feel good for a second. But then I thought, wait, you grew up kind of weird too. And I didn't want to take full credit for that line. (laughs) Well, I think Kendall is another example because we've literally had him talk about his dad being out of the picture and played Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon on air. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. We haven't exactly handled his uh, situation with velvet gloves either, you know. But But yours in particular is more traumatic and I think tantalizing than his, if you want to use that word, you know. Mine has its own version of fucked up, but yours is probably the most interesting out of all of them. Yeah, I'm going to own it, you know, because it's like a compliment's a compliment, you know? Yeah. It's like I'm not a bum. Which would you consider more of a disability, being raised homeschooled or being raised Mormon and leaving? Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. It's all like relative, man. I think, I I mean, like a biggest disability is. Or, one more option, being raised with four arms. Which one is the worst disability? Did I send you that meme of Elon Musk smoking weed and him going, the average number of hands is less than two? Damn. Did I send that to you? That is what Elon Musk thinks of when he's high. You know what I think of when I'm high? I think, man, wish I had some more snacks right now. I just know there's no intelligent thought when I smoke at all. Like, this is why I can't smoke is because I don't think of anything intelligent. It just, it literally, last time I smoked, I, like, <laughs> I got in such a negative headspace that I just thought, Right. <laughs> hey, who's that? Oh, hey, what's up, stranger? Hey, just, uh. Are you Kendall? Jay West Texas Leeson. Good Chiming in from time to time. Cool, I like Honest, that. Honestly, okay, I have two people that I work for, mm-hmm. you know, like John Lewis, you know, I do his jokes so funny, I technically... Bitch, I work not. for you, fool. <laughs> and then I got my my other boss here for other side of Texas, which I don't know uh, how he feels about me saying that, but that's me, Jay Leeson. <laughs> are you? What I'm are you doing, Jay Leeson? So you've been. Do I have asymmetrical hair? Oh. Tight jeans, hate my dad issues. (laughs) (laughs) Asymmetrical hair. I want to break that nut disc down. That's really good. I like that I throw like a light roast at you too, and then you come at me with the atomic bomb. 
You know what that's like? That would have been like if Pearl Harbor had happened and then uh, Eisenhower was immediately like, let's drop a nuke right now. It's like my kid, my, my boy, last night, I'm sorry, wherever we were in this conversation. Mm-hmm. No, we're just now we're here. Let's I got go. Three boys and two are twins. They're nine years, two of them are nine years old, twins. And then I've got the four year old. And the four year old has just learned to stand his ground like Tom Petty standing oh, yeah. there with a gun. And so he gets mad kind of last night. It's like nine o'clock. They're up too late. Mom's already on my rear end because. We got this big old flat screen on the back porch. We're watching the game, watching Aaron Rodgers' classic moment yeah. uh, with the Packers coming back against the Bears. And uh, Jack mouths off to Charlie, and Charlie doesn't handle it well, the four-year-old. And uh, Charlie goes to the toy box, pulls out the bow and arrow, walks up to Jack, <laughs> point, point. And Whoa! Shoots him in the gut. Atta boy! <laughs> Dang! So, yeah. bro, you were raising a Comanche, sir. <laughs> You're talking about asymmetrical hair, Whoa. skinny jeans. Hate my dad. Mm-hmm. Well, with you're raising Charlie, one. With Charlie, we're having a whole conversation. Like, I'll jab him in the chest and say, "Proportional, buddy. Hit me back proportionally." Mm. And he'll jab me as hard as I push him. Got it. Okay. So. Yeah, anyway, you, you know, you right. should have said, you should have looked at him and said, you have asymmetrical hair, skinny jeans, and hate your dad. <laughs> and he just said, yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I would have said two out of three ain't bad, son. But three hey. out of three is even better. You know, well, take what you can get. I don't. Anyway, I dad. derailed. I mean, look, I'll accept two out of three of those insults. I don't hate my dad. I like no, my we were dad saying thank you for the emails, what we were mostly yeah, saying. Thank okay. you for reaching out. Anyone else that wants to reach out, thank you. We, we we read them. We appreciate it. You know, it's comments are also nice too. But we yeah, we appreciate it. And the moral of the story is this: if your brother pisses you off, please pull out a bow and arrow and shoot him in the back. But Point blank. Don't be don't be a wimp. Like get the blade out and do it for real. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, kill your finish it. You know like oh. Uh, I don't know if anybody's read this book, but it's the Bible. Uh, no, Cain and Abel? we gotta talk about Kevin or something like that. What? It's this book I read some years ago, but basically... Oh, you're thinking about The Office with Kevin? No, I'm oh. thinking about this really awful book. Basically, like, long story short, that she has a child that is a psychopath. Oh, like, shit. And is he, the book Harry Potter? No, he oh. pours, um, you know, Drano on his little sister, <gasps> and, she, and she grows up blind in one eye. Whoa. And he's a really good archer. Uh, he grows up to be a uh, kind of a school shooter, only with his crossbow. What? And what on earth was this? Was this Columbine the story? I don't know, but they made a movie about it with Tilda Swinton. What? And I've never heard of this. He shot. He kills his sister, and the book is the mom going to her son like in prison and kind of like trying to forgive him because she has no one in her life but the shitty son that is really intense so is that what what age group was that targeted at i mean i i don't know i think it was like young adults because i was like wow i was probably in my 20s when i read it you know which i still am but i mean not for long. You know, there's sometimes I look at books like that and I go, man, maybe like my parents were on to something with the whole homeschooling thing like that shit. That's crazy. You're well, I mean, what were you, 14, 15? You're reading that? No, I read it like, you know, yesterday. College. Oh, you read yeah. it in college. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. I read books. I'm a grown up, you know? <laughs> no, I was saying the hardest thing, like being a dad with young children, and we just had one turn 11, but 
you know, it wasn't three or four years ago that we had a one-year-old and two four-year-olds and a five-year-old. And so you get into all these classics. And if Uh, I may derail for just a moment. No, please. There's a... So... You go back and you're in your mid thirties and you watch Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, what were what they on? on? Like, yeah. how right. many drugs were they on? Yeah. Like with the whole the donkeys, even Dumbo. Yeah, Dumbo. It's on crows parade, and stuff. Whoa. Like hallucinogens, and then like all the kids in Pinocchio being taken to Pleasure Island, right. And turned into donkeys, like. That they've really scrubbed those things from. So what you see now on what's the 3D stuff now? That like Toy Story, yeah, right? I don't know, uh, like Despicable Me, all the stuff Spielberg like that. stuff. That's really pretty scrubbed up compared mm. to what. But whenever we read books, you know, like you read David Copperfield or you read, you know, uh, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry, Grimm's what's, fairy tales. What is all? Well, I won't go that far. Well, yeah, my kids have. And this is like. First world problems, two yeah, thousands sure, sure. speaking, but back then, like, what were they thinking? Because all of the all the premise of all these books—Copperfield, right. Sawyer, Huck, Huckleberry Finn, Alice in Wonderland, abusive dad, uh, yeah, like beaten boys and boys running away, Copperfield, completely alienated, uh-huh. and so it just comes a point where you're like, like the. Like as an American, I gotta read my these stories to my kids. But at the end of the night, Dad, do you have a drinking problem? No, <laughs> Dad, Whoa. are you gonna leave? Because Whoa. that's the premise of all the great novels. I yeah. mean, there's a main motif across across a lot of them. Do you feel like that automatically raises the stakes of the drama, though? Like, I mean, you're starting the book off here. Dysfunctional family, shit's not working out as well as it should be, and this is where we're going to start this story, go. Like, do you feel like that automatically raises the stakes of the narrative? Well, I think that it puts in a little boy's mind how unstable are the things that they would have not otherwise... Like, I'm not saying I'm the most stable dude on the planet, but I am saying... At 7.20, when it's time to get in the truck and go yeah, to school, yeah. they hear Dad roaring down the hall. Sure. Yeah. But I don't want them to think that I'm, like, hopped up on Jim Beam like, right. like Huckleberry Finn's dad. Yeah. Hollering, screaming, invoking a lot of instability into their lives. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they think about that stuff. It's just funny whenever you go back, you're like, well, I need to read them. Like I've I've seen Grimm's and sure, I did previews sure. of it and I was like uh, no I can't read that to the boys because they're yeah. like oh and because that stuff's not cleaned up in the end no that stuff is like and, that's and then original. her that's bones raw. made up the stew yeah. for her family for the next year yep like then you're like into some crazy cannibal action yeah, yeah. into Grimm's fairy tales. well the Greek mythology is even worse too because that's what I was allowed to read as a kid that was the most messed up stuff I got was Greek mythology and Grimm's fairy tales because those are there's always some sort of cannibalism. There's usually some sort of incest that's going on. And if not like directly something sexual, then at least heavily implied, you know? So, and that's very, very common, especially for books back in the day. Like there were no standards as to what was appropriate for children or inappropriate. The concept of childhood or like yeah. delayed adolescence is a pretty novel idea. Like, I mean, well, that's childhood's not, a new thing. Yeah, uh, it's like, not. It's like, not eight they were sticking you out in the field you know right, what i mean like know? and i like i'm gonna i'm gonna pull a higher ground move over here like oh boy i think there's, there's something to be said about 
just you know kind of giving a little bit of truth to kids i don't i don't mm-hmm. have children so i don't know if like maybe my mindset will change but i really like you know there's some real danger in life yeah and you know like maybe like exposing kids to a little bit of that like in right. a controlled way you know might be like you know, stepping them up a little bit. I completely get you because like this summer we spent, so like we're heading into 40, my wife and I. Sure. We've been married, what, 17 years. So we're heading into this, this place where we've been more successful financially than we've been before. Right. Returns on investments are coming in. All the lead loss stuff. Speaking of podcasts, like lead (laughs) loss, like we've made the say now we're beginning to pull this money on the radio program business. Uh, she's a realtor. All, so it's all, all this fruits beginning to come. And so where that becomes, where that comes to bear is what we do now in the summers. Sure. And right. So this summer, our kids, so get this. So like we're sitting down looking at, at our, so we put all of our stuff on a, on a mileage credit card. Yeah. Okay. And so, my wife, Charity, and I were sitting down last night looking at the credit card, looking at the miles that we built up, and we made a bad gamble. I, I say we, I made yeah. a bad gamble. Smart we're man. Going, we're going to watch two Cowboys games this year, Dallas Cowboy games, Whoa. out of Lubbock, driving to Arlington yeah. to watch these games, and we thrown down like $3,500 on mm-hmm. Cowboys tickets, four games, September 30th, and then we're going to go be there on Thanksgiving Day. And that to say, the kids go on these great, like, three weeks worth of vacations that I would have never had whenever I was a kid. Awesome. If I did, it would have been a 1979 Caprice Classic <laughs> driving halfway across the country. No AC. Air conditioner didn't work. Right. Springs in the seats. Yeah. Wow. And then you smell years and years worth of upholstery in the heat coming through the window melting off the and car. laying in the da- laying in the back in the back window back Gosh. whenever you could do that stuff and just trying to doze off and make as much of this pass with the coffee cup yeah not the, co- <laughs> the coffee can yeah sure. i got a story about that we ain't stopping yeah. yeah but so we go on one vacation two one so we go to where's first we went well we went to colorado hung out in the mountains and then we went to Wisconsin, and then we did a thing in Dallas. And we get home from all that, and the kids still have a week and a half left to go to school. Wow. And they're complaining the next day about how bored they are. Oh, And man. it makes me want to tell them, guess what? We're going to go out, and we're going to dig a ditch. Sure. We're going to dig right. a French drain yeah. right now. Do we need a French drain? Hell cakes, no. <laughs> we don't need a French train. Right. But I need you to stop complaining. Yeah. You you four kids stop complaining. So it's just incredible to me that what we had versus what they have, like maybe I should read them some Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah. To yeah. scare them and to be like, hey, do you want your eyes to be poked out <laughs> by your neighbor down the street and yeah. your legs to be put on the grill? Maybe or yeah. whatever other crazy aspirin 
English stuff was going on at that yeah. time? Or just throw on some, like, go on Reddit and find, like, R, what could go wrong. And throw that <laughs> on for, like, 10 minutes. Just show like, them videos that come out of, like, it's Russian's greatest export is videos of people getting hit by bricks while driving oh, a truck. They do go not Go find two or crap. three of those. That'll fix your kids' problems. Maybe. Dude, I think that honesty with children is the best policy. I really do. And that's why I've been going up to kids lately and just going like this. Hey, kid, Santa's not real. Hey, kid, Easter Bunny's not real. Dude, hey, kid, uh, oh, no, uh, no, no, kid, no. kid, uh, gas can't melt steel, steel beams. Okay, that's all I'm saying. All do right. not, dude, I would, I would fight you. <laughs> what, you don't think that's like, a good idea? Dude, I would fight you, funny man. Are Why? Crazy, if you man. came to my house and blew up the Santa Claus thing, I would fight you. <laughs> Like, that is not your plan. I'll give you a great example. This is the. I end. love that he thinks I was so completely serious. He seriously no, thinks this was not a joke. No, you should believe John Lewis. I'm taking you literally. <laughs> Why? So, but I'll tell you what. And so, I don't know how we got off into me being serious, a dad so with, the podcast, with young children. Then. But here's a great analogy. And I don't know where this is going to go. If it gets too bad, right. then I'll just set the mic down and, and drink my shiner and listen to you go. But... <laughs> Like, there just comes a point where you just respect other people's homes and what they got going. Yeah. And so I'm driving. We're broadcasting this podcast from Lubbock. And so at 19th and University in Lubbock is where you get into Texas Tech University. And I'm in the big F-250, and we're roaring along, and we hit the red light at 19th and University, headed north. And we're in, it's a four-lane at that point. We're in the second lane from the right median as you head north. And there's a guy on the corner who had... Now, I'm pro-life. Like, I'm so yeah. pro-life. I will put the guy who's not pro-life, I'll put his teeth on the corner, American History X, except on the back of his head, right? Oh, like, shit. Let okay. me just state where I am. <laughs> You're so pro-life, you'll disable someone. Yes. Right. Okay, I, I get that. So that all makes logical sense in the end. But I've got my daughter at the time. My daughter at the time. Daniel just dropped the best line on this podcast. It got skipped. All right. No, I, I heard him. That's amazing. My daughter. No, but you're, you're truly pro-life. I am that's pro-life. What, that's what you're but saying. But I understand the ethical responsibility to not just say it before you're born, but yeah, but afterwards. Yeah. But then we'll get into the other side of the Texas podcast. And I'm right, going to right. hijack this. Yeah. But I will say this. <clears throat> If you came to my kids and were, like, taking you literally, which you were not speaking literally. <laughs> but if well, you I never am. Kids, if you came up to my kids and were like, oh, there's no Santa Claus, with the kind of time and investment that we put in resources that we put, in, put into Santa Claus. It's a whole program. I it's may have the investment. same reaction that I had to the dude the week before. Right. We had found a squirrel on the sidewalk, a baby squirrel that had found out of a nest. Oh, no. And so I had to deal with that with my daughter. And it would uh, just kind of look like an embryo at that point. Uh, but we're in the second to right lane, to the second to making a right-hand lane. Oh, no. And we pull up, and there's this jack wagon who's on the sidewalk with a big, it was a four-by-eight that was cut in half. Right. It's a big four by four sign with dismembered parts oh, of, I hate of aborted babies. I know what you're talking yeah. about. I don't hey. see it. God. I'm looking forward. My seven year old oh. daughter at the time is looking at the sign oh and she God. starts to quiver in the seat and says, Daddy, 
What? What is that? When is, when is he talking? Now, my daughter has not been told about the the birds and the bees at that point. We've not gone through any of that stuff. She has no notion in her mind that people could even, for whatever reason, I don't right. want to get ideological here, for whatever reason, make that decision. Right. But here's a guy Reality who's so bites, like dude. pro family, pro life that he wants to exploit my daughter. Yeah. And make clear to her that this cannot ever happen. Wow. So you know what I have to do? I have to go drop her off at basketball practice, and, and then yeah. and then, and I, then I come back to the oh, South goodness. to 19th and University to find the dude and thank thank the stars. That he wasn't there anymore because wow. I was about to go on that dude. So, because yeah, that's you, Mister Pro Life Family, <laughs> like you're so like so bought into this thing that you got to exploit my daughter's Whoa. mind and her imagination to uh, late. So those are images that are not gonna, your. And so like we're driving down the road and she's like, "What was that?" And I said, "I think that he." And I've completely lied to her. Yeah, yeah. I think that he's protesting. Um, what happens to baby squirrels that fall out? Like that was the only thing I oh, had. Man, How old's okay. your kid? She was seven at that. time. Oh, that didn't fly. Yeah. Oh, I wanted. <laughs> if I was, he would have been there, all right through your shit, dude. If he would have been there, I would not be sitting no. here tonight, unless you guys were interviewing me at the yeah. Lubbock County Detention Center. <laughs> we would go there. Don't worry. We yeah, got. We would. I would have ruined that dude. Yeah, we wow. have actually like a mobile setup, so we we definitely could do that. Joke so technical, the podcast. But no, I like I totally resonate with that because like, first of all, do you know where the hell you're at? You know, think uh, that guy, you know, it's like, dude, you're in like the reddest freaking county. Yeah. In America. Who are you convincing? There's not the, the nearest pro, you know, abortion clinic is in El Paso. Right. You know, like there's who barely are you, a plan? Yeah. Who are you talking barely. to, man? Who are you That's talking to? That's always my deal on, on the show. Yeah. Because I always say there are more aborigines in Lubbock, Texas than there are real liberals. Like <laughs> real liberal like yeah. real coastal liberals. Right. There are more aborigines in Lubbock than there are yeah, man. these guys. So well, here's how liberal it is. You get guys like me and Daniel who are fairly liberal and then uh, you take us out to places that are liberal or conservative. Yeah. Like all of a sudden I, we I have are, that same problem. So conservative if you go to a city where they have actual liberals. That's why I'm not a fan of DC. Like I love DC to go and visit, but like when I'm there, like you know, my wife is pretty active like in the um, you know, immigration space. Mm. And you know, if you really look at our life, we're conservative, you know. Right. Like socially we do vote a little blue, but for the most part I don't drink. You know, I don't you know, chew or Drake. I don't do did. nothing. You know, uh, I'm pretty. I'm fairly devout. My wife is very devout. I respect her for that. Yep. And you know, like we go to D.C. We He's have, a Quran thumper. I like to say. You know, we're in Ford.us. Mark Zuckerberg's, uh, you know, immigration, um, you know, like initiative. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting around with people, and it's kind of like this understanding where it's like, oh, you're about the cause, you're like me. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah. And so, like, I bring up that I didn't vote in this last election. Uh -huh. And they literally looked at me like I was the one that put Donald Trump in office. Yeah. And I was like, no, dude, it's because I didn't want to vote for Hillary. That's well, what I told them. And, and like, that's what do you mean? And that's literally, it's so polarizing. They couldn't believe it. Like, I voted for a third party, and I just have, like, my family wants to Wait, kill Gary me. Gary Johnson or? 
I voted for a third party. And like Pinky my Friedman? my yeah, <laughs> egg McMuffin. So my like my my family wants to strangle me because they're like, dude, you could have been the reason that Trump didn't win. And then on the other hand, I actually got more love from conservatives from that than from liberals. No, I think you did the right. I mean, not to like make it right or wrong, you know. I made that mistake, uh, you know, a couple months ago. But, you know, I think you should make the choice that you're able to make. And, yeah. you know, if you feel like your your voice isn't heard, then not voting is just as valid as voting. Yeah, you yeah. Know? No, well, and the system is so broken, too, where we have – yeah, like you look at like any of these European countries, they have five or six parties, right? Like the, the yeah. house is split by a lot of different parties. It's the United States is, is one of those exceptions where we have just two parties that run everything and you have no gradation between how to sway votes. So one of the only ways to do it is to say, hey, if you don't nominate a candidate that supports at least some of the things that I support, then I'm going to have to pick another party to vote with in order to make you go, hey, listen, we'll Ross Perot this shit all day long. Yeah. Until you pay attention to the disenfranchised people who will go third party. But I will say this. From where we're sitting right now in Texas, Politico over this past weekend, as we're sitting here on this podcast today, yeah. September 10, can we dateline these? Yeah. 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 Okay, so, uh, it'll be posted so Politico, So Politico.com putting up how Texas and Texas officials have really pushed the president to come in and a man who called Ted Cruz all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. Lion right. like, Ted. Like, yeah. Um, hey, go down like his Lion father was. Ted. An, no, his father <laughs> his, according to, to Donald Trump a couple of years ago, his father was an accomplice in JFK's murder. assassination. <laughs> so, Best thing that was ever said in the 2016 campaign. That's true. Might I point out that is hysterical, <laughs> but you've got this problem right now of, of likability let's transition over i'm going back to show notes what we intentionally let's do it. yeah yeah let's go into hot takes we decided to talk about originally that you've got this race not now right now between beto o'rourke and ted cruz right and the polls are within margins mm. people don't know how this is going to turn out right now in september That's insane to me for a november election that is so crazy and texas officials texas. like the lieutenant governor and others going in saying appealing to the president you've got to come yeah you have to come regardless like, of what you think about ted cruz you've got to come in and campaign for ted cruz against Beto o'rourke because to the point that you two were just laying out there are a lot of silent majority voters who don't right. buy in to the ideolog ideological reality show that is both parties right now who may just send out this one. Mm, yeah. and a lot of people who may lean center-right don't like Ted Cruz, and that's what this race comes down to, in my opinion. You're not asking for my analysis, but right, right. I've said this over and over again. This race has become one about likability. Yeah. Who would you like not just to have over to do a podcast, but to have over the next weekend and do a football game with you? I think that's and a sit really in your living room choice. And have beer. And I think a lot of Texans, once the curtain is pulled back, would say, well, Beto, because I don't really like Ted Cruz. Because yeah. with Beto, even though you may have a great aversion to liberal politics or whatever yeah. it may be, his scope on the political scale goes from hard not to like to 
really like. Yeah. Yeah. Ted Cruz's in polls has shown this. Beto's non-favorables are like at twenty-five percent. Uh, Ted Cruz is there at forty-five percent. Right. So a lot. So his scope, his scope goes from really don't like that sorry sob yeah. to kind of like him, right. and that's what's hurting him right now. Do you think? Ted Cruz is a good indicator of where the Tea Party movement is because that's where he came up. He came up, which is nowhere. Right. Yeah. It it was just a protest movement. It's gone. Well, and this is the question: if he if he loses his seat, then I think we can officially have the autopsy on the Tea Party. Like it's over at that point, right? No, I think that Cruz and Texas officials have appealed to the president because the president, I would argue, Donald Trump, like you guys talking about, you know. Have, have negative things to say about Trump. I voted for Trump in the primary yeah. as a Republican. I voted for him in the general. I've already voted for him twice. Some people, a lot of people, have not voted for Donald Trump twice. Sure. But I voted for Donald Trump because Donald Trump went through, if you remember the SEC primaries right. of the last Republican general, not the general, the primary election, what was Cruz talking about? Well, we got we to gotta cut taxes. Like right. that same old line. We got to cut taxes. Uh, we got to look out after these social concerns. Duh, duh. Well, was, Trump never talked about doing away with Medicaid, Medicare. Never talked about uh, doing away with any sort of entitlement program. Right. What did he talk about instead? He didn't talk about cutting taxes, even though he did. Right. And that's another subject for another time. Mm. He talked about trade. And how yeah. it was eroding at the middle class. Sure. And that he wanted to take a stance against globalists, both Democratic and Republican. Right. And that's why he won the South like he did. Like, there's a serious We're the manufacturers. Appeal. We're the producers. We don't have them anymore. Why do we not have Because we're getting screwed in these trade deals. And that's why a lot of no, and I'm not true. being very funny right now. Right yeah. now. That's but great. that's I think that's why a lot of voters so a lot of people call it like white nationalism. Well, they just went with them because he was dog whistling white nationalism. I think that most people in the South, whatever the shade of their skin, right, would say that's true. Our jobs have gone away, and that's why Trump won. Mm-hmm. And what's and here's here's the whole crazy part of all that is that Trump at that point was talking like an like a Democrat from 20 years ago. Sure. Right. And that's why I think he got the Midwest to go with him. Yeah. Wisconsin. I mean, that's the, very the upper Midwest. They went with him because they knew this is the kind of candidate that my grandfather would have voted for. Sure. Right. You know, this reminds me of the first time I talked to a Democrat because I grew up in, like, very rural West Texas, like, Earth, Texas was where I basically grew up and never met a Democrat. First time I met a Democrat, old lady, really, really old, like probably 85, 90, something like that. And she was a Democrat, hardcore and like a blue dog Democrat, you know. So I would sit there and talk to her and I like we asked her point blank, like, why are you a Democrat? Because to my family, as homeschooled as we were, we couldn't even understand the possibility of someone being a Democrat and living where we were. And her answer was, when I was a baby, um, my dad lost his farm. We had to become sharecroppers. We lived in a tent. And then the New Deal came in, and it implemented laws that were good for the working man. And and that was her answer. She was yeah. she was a union girl, right? Like ultimately, she was one of those people that came back during the the farm bill era and uh, 
also like the union rights era of the 1920s and 30s and became like a staunch Democrat because of those, you know, those regulations that were passed. And, you know, as much as some people may fight it, like that's a huge chunk of people are still hooked on those laws of that era that say, hey, we need to stick up for the guys who are building things in this country first. I remember listening to a famous radio DJ out of uh, Philadelphia, and he was talking about his family, and he said, you know, like, when I became a Democrat, it was because they supported the unions. Yeah. Hillary Clinton did not get the endorsement of all of those unions. Joe Biden did, right? So you're looking at the Clinton campaign and how she just greatly disenfranchised a huge chunk of her base, which were those union voters inside of Wisconsin or all throughout the Midwest and even the Northeast. And you're having to go, man, like, you royally fucked up if you couldn't get union people to show up for your campaign. And then you look at Trump, and he's got, like, all of the rigmarole of somebody who is a union worker. You know, to all appearances, he's the same dude as one of those guys who's, who's coming up from just the grimy um, layer of uh, union workers and uh, factory laborers and stuff. He a has billionaire Manhattan Queens developer. Yeah, right. but, but <laughs> what, how does he talk? Does he talk more like a billionaire... Queens developer, or does he talk more like a guy who just got off his lunch bucket no, show he type talks ships, about you know? Guy. Yeah. And this is where, like, again, where we're broadcasting from. For wrong or wrong, that's what he sounds like. Where you have within a 200 mile radius of where we're sitting behind these microphones, you got the most production of livestock, Cotton. Of, of production agriculture. Maybe if anywhere on the face of the planet. Yeah, 10% of the world's beef. For, for, uh, I'm going to get into fiber. Right. Yes. But the whole point there is that Trump comes in and says, look, what we've heard. So it's, so here's, here's the paradigm shift is that Trump essentially sounds like Hubert Humphreys Mm. out of Minnesota in the 1940s saying, Farmers and ag producers fight forces too big to fight alone. Right. They can fight the weather and tariffs and non-trade tariffs and all sorts of barriers all at one time. And so tell me, Mr. Electrician, tell me, Mr. Financier, tell me anybody across the board, any profession, any industry, who fights these sorts of uh, aggressions all the I don't need your aggressions, man. I yeah, mean, I, I speaking of aggressions, these aggressions will not stand. And uh, we're going to break. So thank you guys for <laughs> hanging out. Here's a joke for you. Jokes of Funny, the podcast is brought to you by Flatland Records. Flatland Records, music that goes wherever you are. This week, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Brandon Barnes. His new single, Embarrassed, is out on... Uh, uh, where did I hear it? I heard it on Hype Machine and then YouTube after that. Uh, check it out. It's really cool. Um, also, check out Peach Pit if you haven't already. Really cool, kind of smooth indie rock type of stuff. Uh, Daniel, what are you listening to? Man, I have been, you know this, and Jay knows this, I have been rocking the shit out of some Greta Von Fleet. Hell yeah, man. That's like, awesome. I just do not, I do not know what happened to me. Like, okay, I listen to Brian Eno, like, you know, I listen to Indian music. That's what I jam to, which a lot of people don't understand. But, so it's like to go from listening to, like, no structure, no voices, to just straight on, like, 
classic rock. Like, I swear, man. I, I got off a shoot today. I had it running. And I literally drove around the block until I was done. Listening. It's a great song, man. The, the thing that's incredible about them is you listen to it and you go, man, how did this sound ever go away? How did we ever stop playing this classic rock song? That's how I feel if I don't listen to Freebird by Leonard Skinner for like two years and then turn on the last half of that song. I go, holy shit. How did we ever listen to anything else? This is amazing. This is as good as it gets. You know? it's, yeah. it's that kind of a yeah, I mean, it's just like you listening to the Edge of Darkness. I'm just like, fuck, yes, America, yeah, right? That's a really cool vibe. What are you listening to, Jay? Jay what are you listening yeah. to these days? Rob Hero King. Oh, yeah, brother. I feel like I'm not helping this. No, this is great, man. Uh, is that your <laughs> Jerry Jeff Walker? Yeah. Not, not just country. Yeah. Like real Texas country. Red dirt, that kind of thing. Yeah, but you both have recommended stuff to me. I'll check it out. <laughs> cool. I like that. You yeah. guys should check it out too. And uh, Central Pivot, that's an upcoming event for uh, Flatland Records. Records. Y'all, I mean, they're really putting a lot of marketing behind this stuff. So do them a solid. Check it out. Check them out on Facebook and uh, buy a record. What guys, we're back. Did you miss us? Did you have fun in that commercial? Good, because I know I did. Jay, how you doing, buddy? Still here. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, kind of going to change pace a little bit. Um, I want to talk about the worst jobs that we ever had. There's an article that I found that's pretty cool. Um, and it's about the seven worst jobs of all time. Uh, they include uh, cow inseminator, which I think is great. That's a very, like, mm. common job. That's one that I knew. Like, I had a football coach that was a cow inseminator on the side. You know, like, he made his – no, he was a coach on the side that's full-time job was cow inseminator, right? And uh, a classic – When you're doing what you love, you know. Well, I mean, you know, if, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Right, Daniel? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I needed some affirmation. Bye, Texas Aggies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm up. You see, now, I don't get this much trouble out of my heifers. So we're on the field right now. Or my women. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I love that a guy would go home to his wife and think artificial insemination is just the way to go. Like oh, we just, man. <laughs> do you apply what you do at home? So, okay, I got this giant glove on my arm, baby. You know what's about to happen. Uh, manual sewer cleaner. I think that's great. It sounds like Super Mario Brothers, but like for real. What do you mean manual sewer cleaner? Like those robots now? No, that's that's. Are you a, mean like that? That's cartoon little... my kids watch about manual. <laughs> no, that's a little. You kid. mean manual that ends in al? That's not that's Manuel. That's what you're thinking about. Manuel sewer cleaner. That's like a little kid in Guatemala that's climbing down the pipes to go clean out the poop. Dude, you, you know want to get in Guatemala? Working the American dream. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, man. The Look. American dream brought to you by every other third world country. I <laughs> congratulations. Could, I could go off landers. on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sorry, I. You know, you mentioned offhand Guatemala. There's some really terrible stuff going on in Guatemala right now, per like usual. Like what, Daniel? Oh, you know, like they, I, I do some work with the nonprofit Let Hope Begin Here, Guatemala. Mm. And uh, 
So, you know, there's a village that I, I do stuff with there in Guyablis. Um, what and, kind of stuff? You know, like, uh, like building churches and, you know, providing clean water and all that. Mm. Uh, but um, so the UN ha- had an initiative to, to stomp down on corruption. Uh-huh. Basically, they said, we're not going to give aid to you anymore. Right. No you- corruption anywhere but at the UN. Well, yeah, I guess so. Anyways, the, the people there have withdrawn. And, and anyways, there's huge protests. The indigenous people there in Guatemala are being, like, attacked. and They just always do that. Come yeah, on. it's just not good. But anyways, I, <laughs> I thought you said something about Guatemala, and I uh-huh. my head was just like, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, your head definitely went a different direction. Yeah. Uh, but, let me so, ask you this question. Do you think there are people who do embalming for a living in Guatemala? No, I, I'm, I'm sure there are, but, uh, you know, I know a guy What do you think they do here, with dead people there? They just bury them like normal people. Wow, just complete racism. He doesn't think that they embalm people in Guatemala. That's incredible, guys. I, I personally, I'm married to a Mexican. I'm very offended by that. Mexicans personally. are not Guatemalans. You know what? That's racist of you to say, too. You can be whatever you want in this day and age, well, you, right? Well, you, you can ask, ask a Central American, right, <laughs> and they'll tell you. You know, what will they tell you, Daniel? It's like, I'm Guatemalan, I'm not Mexican. Chuga chuga, right? That's what you think they're going to say? Hmm? No, they're going to say, you know, excuse me, por favor, señor, me. He doesn't even know what language they speak. Did you know. not know that the indigenous peoples of Mexico and, and Central America, they speak different languages. They're diverse, all right? Some of them speak German for some inexplicable reason, all right? Well, I'm not going to say Nazi hideouts, but maybe, you know? Well, Argentina, right? That is Argentina. That does seem to be Argentina's shtick. Argentina should just be like a uh, witness protection of the world. Like if you just need to go hide out somewhere, Argentina is like the place to go. So we're talking about worst jobs we ever had. So I'm going to tell you mine. Okay. The worst job I ever had, but the one I'm really thankful for, mm-hmm. is I was a ice cream man <laughs> six or seven years ago. Maybe. Beautiful. I literally had nothing. I barely had like a, a laptop or like I had nothing. And I, my brother and I, like we lived together and we just went on this nine month bender where we just like partying way too hard. That's awesome. We get kicked out of our apartment and, you know, this is my like, I'm 24 years old and I just have my car. And I don't have a job because I've just been partying. Mm. And uh, I decided, you know what? I'm going to be an ice cream man. Oh, yeah. And you know what? You can hustle like crazy as an ice cream <laughs> man. Okay? Like, you can make, you know, $200 a day hustling Whoa. as an ice cream man. And I freaking put up some numbers. I was serious about it. What is the most money you ever made as an ice cream man? Ice cream man, I think like $350 a day. Wow, is that after you ate $200 of your own product? I mean, like, you don't eat the product. You (laughs) You don't? No. Oh, that'd be impossible then. And I figured out a way to rig, like, my phone to where it could blast my music through the speaker. No way. Instead of playing the music. And that did, did, uh, you know, 
I can't I can't see you playing that ambient stuff that you listen to and having people run up to the run up to the truck. I had, if I'm being I, it totally was like honest. greatest hits, you know. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, right. Nicki Minaj, all that garbage. It's out Got there. It. Okay, you were so, playing shit the kids would run up for. That was the worst job I ever had, but it's also it, it taught me, hey, in a pinch, you can always sell ice cream. Mm. I think my worst job would have to be hoeing weeds in the summer as a kid, because you just you just go out there and your a hoe is like other than being a prostitute in, in slang, is as actually an implement that you use to cut weeds down with. Like if you've yeah. ever gardened or worked in a field or something. And like on a farm, the weeds can grow up to like five, six foot high. And you have to go through there with a hoe and cut them down. And like you have to cut them down like for real though and like pull them up at the roots. Otherwise they'll come back. So that was my job in the summer a lot of times is I'd go out there and for like, you know, like, as a little kid, nothing, but as I got older, maybe five, six bucks an hour, you'd go out there and you'd cut weeds down all day long, and you'd just be out there. There was no, like, this is where I learned that Mexicans were really smart, though, because the way they would do it is they would bring out all of their, like, they'd bring out, like, all their, their clothes, right? They'd have, like, garments that would cover all of them. They'd look like sand people off of Star Wars, you know? Right. They'd be out there, and they're just all covered up so they wouldn't sunburn and shit, and they would have like a radio with them and stuff. And they'd always have like a, like a, a watermelon they'd cut in the middle of the day so they could go sit down and eat some delicious watermelon and take a break, you know? That's where I learned about the ingenuity of the Mexican people was, well, you know, cutting weeds for the first time as a kid, you know? And it, the thing that was interesting about hoeing was uh, you'd go out there and you wouldn't have anything to do. So you'd wind up talking to whoever you were with. So sometimes it'd be a Mennonite guy. Other times it'd be, you know, the Mexican people that were with you. Other times it'd be, like, your brother or whatever. And you'd just talk about stuff. Like, hey, what Como would it be like? Se <laughs> well, sometimes it was in English, you know. You never know. But, like, it, it'd be weird. Like, you'd have... Yeah. We literally... Pot talk for me was ho-hand conversations. Like, we would have conversations like, what would you do if you hit a million dollars? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, those were the kind of talks that you would have all the time out there. So, in some ways, it was the worst job because it's miserable. You'd go home and your hands would have blisters. You were just hot all the time, and there was no way to fix it. And, like, the best feeling in the world would be when it was July and a cloud would roll over the sun albeit for two seconds, and you'd get just that little cold breeze that would sweep over you, and you'd have the determination to move on for a little while longer. But in other ways, it was also the worst job because, yeah. you know, the best job. It's I just mean, hard because, freaking work. Yeah, it's, it's a real job. You yeah. Know? It's what everyone did until 1974 or 75 no, when people started well, coming inside and having tractors like and shit with 1990 air until thereafter you got the big is that when you started working hills on on the border and yeah it was after that point like i grew up i graduated 57 people yeah abernathy independent school district and i think i think it's safe to say a majority were mexican mm -hmm. like i have a dent on we don't we don't have video capability here not right now I have a dent on my left ear where the cartilage is broken and hangs over. After the show, I'll show you both. Mm. This cartilage is fine. This one is not. Because one day I called one of my buddies with whom I graduate with, Oscar Delgado. Uh huh. I called him Latino or Hispanic. I can't remember. Uh -oh. just, just trying to respect him. Yeah. yeah. Like, take up the normal, normal parlance of the day. And on that particular day, it had snowed. Mm. But Snowden was such a way that there was a lot of rain yeah. 
rainwater in the curbs. He went over, was so mad that I would call him Hispanic. Latino was not a thing at that time. Sure. And put a bunch of snow in the gutter, in the curb, and threw it at me. He was later, an all, I believe, an all-state pitcher oh, in dang. baseball. Slung it right in my ear, broke my ear, Ugh. laid on the ground, possible. and Oscar Delgado came over me like a raging bull and said, never call me Hispanic again. I'm Mexican. <laughs> but that's yeah, what we did. So, that the point to say, Ooh. whether you hoed or whatever you Hell did, yeah. you were migrants up and down the valley. Yeah. Now, a lot of, so my aversion now to like, again, to get off on a political tangent, like I can understand the need now to completely vet Mexican people who are here illegally. Mm. But that's a real shift in my mind from the early 90s and late 80s because yeah. those are the people with whom we grew up. Yeah. People who worked their way up the, the valley and then didn't go home. Now, again... Well, Jay always the, likes the, to le- just vet people at the grocery store. He'll just walk up and people start patting them down, you know? Me? That's his big, yeah, that's a, I've heard that's your big thing, right? Sometimes. Oh, that's but, good. But my big deal is... But that's that just for funsies. It, it, like, as a longtime Texan... Whenever I hear about this border security stuff, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense right now. Yeah. But whenever I was younger, driving through fields where people were doing, like, I was getting paid $8 an hour to sit on a spray rig and spray what may very well be (laughs) carcinogenic materials, chemicals (laughs) on weeds. I was not doing that at Mm. that time. Um, but those were the very people that whenever we got on breaks or towards the end of the day, we'd drive down turn roads and say, La Migra, La Migra, and just watch that. Now, I feel bad about that now. Yeah. But at that time, it was quite a hoot <laughs> to, like, watch all these people start running. Yeah. And I only say that because I'm on a show called Joke So Funny. The only reason they were running is because your pronunciation was terrible. <laughs> no. They're like, what? There's they ice cream? <laughs> but like, I've never, there's ice cream. There's ice cream. Holy no. shit. Holy shit. <laughs> they never, no, listen, they never thought turkey in the straw or some other American medley uh-huh. whenever we were rolling by. Right. But I will say that whenever I was in... I was Did you think it was w- weird when they'd start playing La Cocoracha when you'd start walking up? No, is that a weird feeling for you? <laughs> we never did that. We didn't have Bluetooth speakers at that time. Whoa, wait. They had eight tracks, man. They'd just start playing it. They had a whole mariachi you know band that, out there. That like I could totally derail this podcast and start talking about like uh could future shock. <laughs> like future shock. That's an emotion you feel where you're like, you know, um, because technology has moved so quickly in our lives mm-hmm. it's like you know you saying like oh i didn't have bluetooth speakers back then like i felt that all of a sudden because it's like shit you know i remember my dad yeah. like he he had this brief case of tapes mm-hmm. and he would he would tell would me i'm in the back well no like cassettes and you know oh, I'm in the back seat, Thanks, Daniel. my dad would be like all right you know throw Hand me that Peter Gabriel tape that I like so Hell much. Yeah. And I have to dig through and find the one. And then, you know, he'd have me like stick the pencil in the cassette so oh, I'd I rhyme it for him. Okay. You know, 
So you, and he put it. There in was uh, so look. Here's my point, though. I appreciate your story, there, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Actually, but there let's stop no, talking about it. There was no <laughs> Speedy Gonzalez version of Turkey in the Straw. Right. No. You know what do you mean by La Speedy Gonzalez? I don't understand. Like, oh, okay. We come from Omega. There was none of that. Yeah. Oh. But I will say that, to their credit. I remember being a freshman in college, leaving my little rural community mm. of 2,904 and saying, you know what? What I've been doing for the past few years, I ain't going to do anymore. Mm. You know why? Because I'm going off to a better life. Now, that right. lasted one year. <laughs> one year. And I remember, like, where we're sitting right now, Cotton in Lubbock, Texas, Within a hundred mile radius, does five hundred billion? No, excuse me, five billion dollars a year of annual economic impact. Mm. Cotton a big deal. You got to get out there and take care of those five foot pig weeds. You got to get out there and take care of that crop. But I remember my fr my freshman year in college. Well, saying, you got to get someone to get out there and take care of that pig. Or weed. it's never yeah, the farmer. It never. It's never one of the guys that owns the farm that's out there taking care of the fucking well, pig weed. Or gullible. Or gullible West Texas high school kids. Ah, yeah. okay. So my first year, worst job I ever took was working in the deli of a supermarket in West Texas and always tried to be like, kind of like um, just trying to be a bartender. Behind the deadly scenes. Okay. <laughs> like, I kind of like so, this. Like, turn around. What's going looking, on, Carl? So, it, no, I it's kind of like. salami on rye. You with, want some uh, of them banana peppers on there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, my sauerkraut, will you throw it on the grill for a little bit for what, me? What? You want the pumpernickel or what? <laughs> no, but that's kind of what it was. Yeah, yeah. All right. And I so, like it. it was kind of like, uh, what's the guy who went crazy on Oprah's couch? Tom. Uh, wait, Tom wait. Tom, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, got Tom, Tom Cruise. Tom, Tom, oh, my Tom, bad. So it's Tom Cruise Night. in cocktails. Right. Me behind the scenes, like a third of what I weigh now. Yeah. Trying to entertain customers. Flipping and that salami there around. behind. Ew. The, this is supposed to be a clean podcast. I mean, he's Stay slinging out. salami. Hold on. Trying to cut the meat <laughs> behind. Yeah, yeah. Turn around, looking over my shoulder, and the one rule we were always given was never work the slicer without looking directly at the slicer. <gasps> exactly. Uh -oh. But I was turned around, looking at customers, and then cutting a ham one oh, day, no. entertaining them, cocktails, no tips, just entertaining, because I did not want to be out on a module builder near a turn rope <laughs> in November where it's negative 17 uh, degrees Fahrenheit inside. Yeah, the worst job. With, with coveralls and everything else on top, eating out of a sardines can <laughs> with crackers. Like, I didn't want to be that guy. I'd done that for a lot of years. Didn't want to do that anymore. So here I am cutting the meat, you know, whatever it was. Some fine ham, sure. and I hear a weird sound. Subway's finest. Feel a weird sensation, and the blood from oh, my no. pinky nail sprayed up on the wall. I look down. <laughs> I still have the scar that goes down along my pinky nail. Whoa. Fired on the spot. No on way. the spot, manager they comes just out. You. 
because they oriented you over and over again. Wow. Pay attention to what you do. Pay. So, <laughs> worst job I ever had lasted like maybe a semester. And you and went that, back to the real worst job you ever had, which was on that module. And I went back to negative, <laughs> negative 17 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> and could have done a Carhartt commercial. My yeah. favorite thing in the world is when someone's playing shoots and ladders and they just hit one hell of a shoot and they just go right back down to where they were. That makes me laugh so hard. I've been there so many times, man, where it's just like, man, you just think that you got out of it. Yeah, and that's a homeschool joke right there. I have no idea. No, what you've never played shoots and ladders. I've never Jay, played. Jay, are you familiar with the concept of shoots and I'm ladders? I'm not. I'm sorry. What? No yeah. way. Yeah, it's a homeschool thing. Man. Sorry, you lost me. How on earth is that a homeschool thing? You've no. played shoots and ladders so much in your life that you can equate situations in your life to run in a shoot and catching a ladder. Yeah. Yeah, that's that I definitely see, can't. But, so, John, look, I don't mean to interrupt and be the funny. No, you're man. good, please. But now you're the you, funny man. No, now. go so tell now, a joke. Here's where you could turn the whole podcast around on funny. me and say, "So, who has the asymmetrical hair, skinny jeans, hates his dad now?" Uh-huh. Because <laughs> you've never played shoots and ladders. Well, I would do that if I wasn't mean. Okay. <laughs> so, but you were thinking that. You know, I mean, I. Uh, what else we need to get in? some other. I've totally derailed this podcast. No, no, this there's is no on the rail. same topic. This so is we, exactly what we were. We t- talked, this is what I wanted. Have we talked about how mad I wrote a statewide column on Ted? Cruz? No, but I want to talk about this. So, uh, how long you've been dropping a lot of heat for? Like probably three, four months now. Just oh, anyone that's man. a serious character in politics in this area. Like you've just been blowing stuff up, man. Like you're you're the real news source. I feel like at this point. Well, even like tighter than I mean, not to correct you, but it's really just been the last two months have been just pow. Yeah. Like you know, this is like Rambo. Okay. So for our national in. audience, you got to go through the other side of Texas.com. Yeah, you got to okay. go. Okay, for our national Look audience, let that. me explain what happened. So, so there's a guy who runs a car dealership that's huge in in this part of the world and has multiple different locations and stuff. He gets busted for fraud, um, like the largest what what is it? Largest floor level fraud in the United States, right? Like according to Ford Motor Credit, yeah. Massive fraud, huge multi-million dollar lawsuit. Um, the guy who breaks key portions of that story, including audio from actual sales meetings and stuff from that, is the one and only Jay Leeson, right? Jay West Texas Leeson. Jay West Texas. What do you got? Some yeah. bitch Leeson, right? He's the one. So he's the man. He's the guy who does that. And then follow that up with um, like, I mean, this is this is an ongoing story, so you can describe it however you want, but Regent Gate, which I mean, is continually unfolding, becoming more complicated and intertwined, I'd say. But right? this, this guy is the literally like the the truth seeker. Like, OK, like if I was going to. OK, like, sorry, I, I I'm with this dude almost every day. And it's like he sends me a podcast. And I'm literally thinking, OK, what's next? You know, like, yeah. what's the big thing? That's you know? how I feel whenever I'm listening to Radio Lab too. Go ahead. But no, seriously. So if I was going to introduce <laughs> Jay Leeson, like on WWE, all right, this is how I would do it. OK. All right. Let's hear it. All right. I, 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 I'm like, I need to get hoorahed, you know, I need all to right. channel some Let's of that great of on fleet, you know, it's like, oh, but it's like the truth speaker, the news breaker. 
Jay, West Texas Nissan. That's great. Is right? he a reggae band? I don't. I, <laughs> yeah, man. That's with the Sika. <laughs> the I one think, and only. God damn it. The Jay Nissan. Come and do it. He's a blonde man. No. Can't do that. That's no, all right. Sorry. Maybe that's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> man, no. I'm getting to <laughs> the real point. Nothing makes me happier than when someone face plants on an impression because that's what I do every fucking day. You're the comedian. I'm just the the, the button pusher. All a comedian is is somebody that's fallen on their face a billion and one no, times. No, but yeah, that's look, it. Here's the point: is that what you can say about West Texans by and large, you can pull them and come up with all sorts of stereotypes. Mm. But these are people that have a real BS barometer. Yeah. And to the point about the dealership, to the point about the university. What's going on at Texas Tech? And then the governor pay to play. I mean, and yeah. then all the extensions yeah. there. You got a real problem with West Texans who know, you know, how to speak the truth. And I think a lot of West Texans, back to the Beto O'Rourke, Ted Cruz thing, would never be with would never be with O'Rourke on some of his liberal policies, but have such a sincere dislike and distrust of Cruz that maybe on that particular race, they just decide not to vote. Mm. Not vote on either side, but just say once the curtains are pulled, hey, not going to vote in this one. Or maybe just to stick it to Cruz in his nasally bravado that, yeah, I'm just going to stick it to him this time. Yeah. Yeah. Just to make sure it's not a guaranteed thing, basically. Just yeah, to because say, we hey, know. I mean, we we know where we stand. This yeah. ain't the, in the, bag. the Texas GOP counts these. This part of the of Texas is solid red. And what if what if we just didn't turn out this time? Mm. And they said, well, forever they've said, well, we'll just do away with that ten percent. Yeah. Well, but here's the problem: is that in counties. In and around where we're sitting right now, they've not had a major U.S. Senate candidate come in and for some time. Mm. Yeah, but O'Rourke has done that. Now, you may disagree with him on the life issue, the abortion issue, to frame it in a different way, or you may disagree with him on uh, whatever sort of economics you ascribe to, but the fact of the matter is that he came. When was the last time you heard his opponent? Right. From you know, TV. So whether he's alternative Keynesian or whatever it might be, and and so you know, come come a- November, the Wednesday after November, maybe this is a joke so funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that it's turned out this way, and I think there's a lot of intrigue. I think that Ben O'Rourke is crazy to go on Ellen DeGeneres' show or whoever else's show and think that that's going to factor into. Mm. Places in Texas where the race is within three or four points. Not going to happen. Now, I, he may wind up being the golden boy yeah. vis-a-vis Barack Obama in 2008. That makes sense. Eight. Uh, he may yeah. wind He's up being the, the Democratic just... candidate for president or wow. vice president That's in the next couple of years. I could see a real pathway for him doing yeah. that given the sort of uh, headway he's made here. But the fact of the matter remains, will he be the next U.S. senator from Texas? And 
plus or margin, plus or minus margins say what they say, and I think there's a reason why the cruise people are really concerned right now. All right, we don't get a mind like yours on the podcast regularly, so I'm going to just start asking questions, right? So um, I've been talking about blue backlash since the 2016 election, right? So what's that? That is um, Donald Trump reinforces so many negative things that the Democratic Party and liberals have to say about conservatives that it turns out the vote in just ridiculous numbers in oh, the next the blue election. Wave. There's the blue wave, right? Yeah. The, the backlash is what I was calling it, but the blue wave is what you hear it as more often now. Do you feel like that has any credibility at all due to you know the, the amount of things that have happened with immigration and uh, – the Muslim ban and and the different things that have made serious headlines, or do you feel like that's kind of overblown? Well, I, I would go back to what you mentioned originally, maybe in like minute twenty of this podcast, that there are conservatives who give real blowback, a la Bill Crystal, mm. who helped um, Bill Crystal Crystal's ball National Review who helped in, you know, I want to cite other people here and say that Bill Crystal previously helped um, give birth to the Iraq War and to Sarah Palin and to a few other things. And so, is notoriously the worst predictor of politics ever. So if that is your marker for conservative, then yeah, conservatives ought to be up in arms because... Donald Trump ran against those things. Not only did he run against trade, he ran against foreign intervention sure. and, you know, this American imperialism. Um, which is also interesting because of the op-ed, the anonymous op-ed that was run in the New York Times, and he wanted to take out several leaders that were involved in the Arab Spring, quote-unquote. Right. Yeah. Uh, that opposed the Arab Spring. But... I think it's really split. I think the country is really split right now. It's really in a point of what is conservative, what is liberal. And a lot of the country reevaluating what that means. And I don't think that, actually, I don't think a lot of Trump supporters right now would call themselves Reagan conservatives. I don't, right. I don't think they would. And nor would I think that liberal voters would call themselves. Uh, a Humphreys Democrat, or God, maybe most of them even don't know an LBJ, what a Humphreys Democrat is. But maybe an LBJ Democrat. Now that I say it, maybe we believe in diversity. We believe that we're going to fight for these things, but within a parameter. Mm. So I don't. I don't think the next big election is fought on the grounds of concern. I think that Trump has blown up the neoconservative narrative, mm. uh, as we mentioned earlier, the Tea Party narrative, and it's just going to be a matter of who sticks with Trump here. Yeah. That's interesting. But he really has formed the GOP in his own image, though. It's You feel yes. like it's, it's not... When I, I remember when the 2016 election rolled around, one of my biggest fears was neocons. Like, that's this huge concern for me because I'm an anti-interventionist, you know, and... It was interesting watching the election go down because I went, this is bizarre. 
You know, you have people like uh, my grandparents who are staunchly intervention-based. They, they thought, you know, any idea of not being involved in the Middle East was ridiculous and peacenik. And then you have Donald Trump come along who was staunchly against it. He went up and he said, no, I thought the war in Iraq was a terrible idea. I didn't think we, sh we shouldn't have gotten involved there at all. And, and said things like that on a national stage and still had people backing him because he endorsed the ideas that were more present to them than that one. Well, that was the, yesterday's issue, and you know, today's issue was the wall. Well, so, yeah, the wall, and that's a concrete, that's a great political messaging issue. Now, I've had people like centrist, and a lot of Democrats would say center-right, uh, state representative out of Texas, come on the program, Pancho Navarez, whose wall, whose house would, under current plans, be on the south side of the wall. Now, you're a state <laughs> elected official. And That's your house hysterical. is on, so because he lives like 20 miles off of Whoa. the Rio Grande. So would he get his own door in the wall? No, maybe his own, <laughs> maybe his own Werner ladder. Yeah. <laughs> I hope but, he has his own basement uh, that tunnels underneath it. Well, yeah, but, he, I mean, so look, my whole issue is that somebody who, I'm sorry to go so serious on jokes so funny. No, this is great, man. But this I is think what you're somebody, here for. I think somebody who's really great right now, standing out in, dare I say, a public theologian status on the national podcast is Jordan Peterson. And Jordan Peterson, a public thinker, He's out of University of Toronto, I believe. And uh, the Canada. thing you have to understand, and, but Peterson, but Peterson argues this. If you look this at is Kant, what I think. This is what I think. Trump won in his primary election back to trade and back to the middle class being grinded out. Is Peterson makes the argument now that there has to be a structure within American life. That is a healthy structure. And traditionally, yeah. the conservatives have said, and this goes to kneeling to the flag or anything else, that you must pay homage to the, the hierarchy, to use his words, the hierarchy, that you must protect back the blue. Mm. And you must, and so I want to step away from my own perspective here and just lay out a broader analysis yeah, of what I it. think is happening in American life. So in order to have a society and to have a civilization, you must adhere to broader truths. Now, even Barack Obama has said, what are those broader truths to which we have to ascribe? But Peterson says you must have those. And now today in America, to subscribe to and ascribe to those greater themes is considered, quote-unquote, conservative. But what happens when the hierarchy breaks down? And we all go to Chile's. Whenever, because you're voting, this is my big deal in West Texas. Yeah. My big deal in West Texas is because you pay and pay through your vote for the interest of very well-capitalized interests does not necessarily make you conservative. And so now today you've got arguments about we stand and we put our hands on our heart for, for justice and liberty for all. Liberty and justice for all. 
What about those for whom there is not justice? Right. And yeah. that's the role that the left has to play in the country right, right now. Yeah, yeah. And so there must be a dialogue between the right and the left on what makes for a healthy hierarchy in this country. And there is, but I would argue to you that swing vote in the middle of the country in 2016 where Hillary's people were like, holy shinoli. They are not going for us here. That is the part of the country, even swinging down into West Texas, I would argue, that makes up for and accounts for whether or not we have a healthy hierarchy in the face of globalism as well as American well-capitalized interests. What happens to, and start to get preachy, what happens to the least and the lost in this culture? What happens to... DACA workers, right. DACA recipients, whose whose sponsors are no longer alive. What right. happens yeah. there? And just because you want to step out in the fray and say, "Well, what should happen?" doesn't make you a raging a, liberal. Exactly. Right. Yeah, you, yeah. It doesn't make you a pro-choice like abortion monster liberal. And that's the disconnect in American life yeah. right now. Exactly what Peterson has talked about. What I tried to uh, to generate within conversation, there's a great American, uh, a great American middle who appreciates podcasts like this and others because it makes like in say Jimmy Fallon, I yeah. think your overlap of this program, great overlap with Jimmy Fallon, sure. yeah. any other late night program. Well, I like to say he, a little relief. he has great overlap with us. Let's get real. We okay. probably have more <laughs> listeners. That may be true. Well, but there, my point here is this. Yeah. And let me just say this and I'll stop talking. No, you're good. Is that Talk there has want, to man. come a point where there's some brevity here from being outside of this totalitarian or far left structure of you believe this, therefore you are you're cast to hell right. because you believe. No, what we're saying is, and I've got very conservative friends, and I will not mention their names. <laughs> uh, I'll let them come on this podcast. <laughs> Daniel <say> Clayton. <laughs> no, it's people outside of Daniel Clayton who believe that there ought to be room for conversations in uh-huh. this DACA breakdown. There ought to be room for conversations in what happens to children with whom you've forcibly been, uh, by the by the power of the state, required to be born, and now they have to feed, be fed by a G-tube, and live in chairs for the rest of their life. Mm. So what then, what responsibility, and to get ultimately preachy, yeah. there's a man who's fallen by the side of the road. What do you do about that man? Right. Yeah. Do you stick within an ideological curve or do you step out of that side of that curve and be the Samaritan who's kind of right in flesh and blood or is kind of wrong whatever way? Who then was the true neighbor? Who then was the true American? And I think that's the conversation to be had in this country right now. Well, to add to that point, which is well, actually like an incredible uh, feat, because that was an excellent. Uh, that's something I'm gonna go back and listen to because it's, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. I just don't feel like America. America hasn't evolved its uh, its myths. You know, we don't have 
our civilization has been so entrapped by materialism and by, you know, the uh, just how quickly going back to future shock, how quickly like technology has advanced. Like the best myth for conservatives right now is uh, Ayn Rand. You know, it's like you're you're such an individual that no matter what you do, the best thing you could do for yourself is to take care of yourself and do everything for yourself and, yeah, but- and and grow your business and like who cares about anyone else that's like that's not a human thing you know that's a that's i mean like there's so many problems with like ann rand and her writings like that's the best myth for conservatism right now and it's so separated from like the, but Donald Trump does not represent Ayn Rand. Oh, hell yeah, he does. No way. No, no, no you're, you're very foolish in so, thinking so that. So Listen to Jay. So, But that's where I was about to interject there yeah. is that what voters in the 2016 Republican primary, especially through the SEC states, as you go south and you come around to Texas, the only state that Trump lost defying Ayn Rand Yeah was Texas, and it's only because Ted Cruz has made, had made his mark in Texas. Uh. Now, in every other state, that's whenever Cruz was done. He had to go up to Indiana, and that's why you got the vice president that you do now. Right. But they defied Trump on those economic claims. Right. Now, on, on claims about what color your skin is and those other, I will not, I cannot debunk you there. Right. But I'm saying on economic claims where most people live, I think that people said, yeah, no, they don't no, no. care. We yeah. Because that is what the face of the Republican Party nationally has been post George W. Bush is, well, we're going to play to one economic class. Trump fought that economic class. And that's why the Heritage Foundation, the Cato Institute, other heavy hitters went in against him right. with the Cruz, brothers that's another example exa- yeah. and to this day he defies them exactly now again where you guys could really blow me up is on the tax cuts and how yeah. the kind of deficits that that's going to run up in the country now yeah, has- everybody's got to wet their beak right you know like at the end of the day like you, you look at italian gangsters and shit i love gangsters you know that they may have morals and stuff but ultimately everybody wets their beak you know, like that's that's part of the deal. You know, everybody's going to want to try and get a dip of it. But it doesn't mean that they're libertarians. You know, I mean, ultimately, they don't. They aren't because there, there is that level of pragmatism to it where it's like people understand that if you have a freer market, generally, you're going to have greater innovation. Right. But also people want to support their own and they want to take care of the people that are inside of their community and they want to feel good about the decisions that they're making when they go check out. So there are factors that are exterior to that that contribute to different pieces. But I just and I would argue that most people are not libertarian-driven at all, honestly. Yeah. Here's the greatest irony to me, right? So you look at all of these conservatives that live in rural counties, and they will harp on Ayn Rand all day long if you let them. You know? But then if you sit down and you look at their budget, right? You know, like 30, 40% of their income is coming from a farming bill. Or health care. Or health care. Or, or insurance. Or education. Yeah. Or exactly. higher education. They don't believe in that. They do not so believe we, in free markets. So we can talk they red. Don't. We can talk red all day long. But then you got to you gotta cash those blue checks. Right. And I'm exactly. not saying that they yep. were earned on the government dime. What I'm saying is that even the small businesses... 
with whom they contract uh, these small business contract with non-taxable entities. Yeah. That's that's my argument there. Now, this is a place that I think a lot of Americans need to come. Now that we're on a national podcast, no right. joke. My children. Whenever I was raised here, we moved away from West Texas. We moved back, had very young children. And this is my prescription to a lot of people. A lot of people who say that they are, quote, unquote, conservative. Yeah. You, the raising of your children is ultimately up to you. Yes. And so my children attend a school that is... Very progressive, yeah. Which is a struggle for me and my wife because we raise our children very conservatively. What do you mean by progressive? Well, I mean progressive so far in, in social views and really trying to identify with diverse views and tolerant views. But is it a public school or a private? Is it a public school? Oh, okay, all right. But here's yeah, the deal: it. is that you really got to check your whole card at that point yeah. and say, did I do everything I could? in that child's first five years to make sure that they're ready for what they're about to jump into, right? Uh, and so, and this is, we've got diverse views in this room, but I will say this. I really sympathize with American conservatives who say that the left has had too much bearing in public life, particularly mm -hmm. in public schools. So because we they were the this. ones that cared about it first. Well, it's not, it's like the, it's the whole thing where it's like, you know, that the left is all about, you know, the identity politics where it's like, you're this, you're this. And, you know, you can't be. But see, I wouldn't even say that. I would say that left politics in this country right now is essentially like we're talking about biology ingest everything and then not excrete anything uh, like take everything in and you and i all of us all yeah. everybody listening you go like think about all the slumber parties you went to as a kid there was frito pies the checks mix the the sweets like you went through and you went through the buffet five times how'd you feel the next morning uh, constipated and i think in a lot of ways people could say that people in this country right now are philosophically constipated because you're ex you're expected to, based upon leftist majorities, to ingest everything but digest nothing. And right. so it leads to a philosophical constipation in this country. Mm -hmm. But what I've had to teach my children is this. In public schools, it's okay. It's not judgmental. You're not warranting an eternal judgment on another soul now i say this in sixth grade terms but yeah just for sake of the audience i hope you say it like warranting judgment on another soul i hope that's how you talk to your children for hell to come like <laughs> i will oh, jonathan i, I did want to say uh, i just want to mention like it was pretty enlightening here hearing you describe oh, what uh thank you a sleepover was like I, you're welcome I anytime i can break that down for is you. that how they are yeah, you just sit there and you eat at the buffet. Oh, my God. And so you wake up the next morning and it's... So you go through this buffet line in culture right now, like the junior high sleepover. You ingest everything but excrete nothing. And lots of the people I hear whining about, like, to me, 
Public education right now is the greatest outside of Methodism. A little uh, church shot there, but it is. I'm, I'm a West. Shout Street. out Methodism. But it is the greatest reflection of culture and society. And so a lot of people I hear whining about the state of public education are people with whom I look or to whom I look and say, maybe you should have done a better job. Maybe you should take 10 minutes off of looking at a screen and raise your freaking kids. Yeah. And so, so I fail in that a lot. But what I'll say is this, when we're talking about the hierarchy, the hierarchy, Peterson's hierarchy and things deteriorating and things falling apart. My daughter went to this progressive elementary school that we put her in intentionally thinking cool. that our chops were up to it. She came home at Christmas Uh-oh. in the Christmas season oh, is no. before Christmas said, daddy, daddy, I have to show you something. I learned Uh-oh. a new way to pray. And I'm thinking public oh. schools, what about God being outside the public? What is she about to show me? Well, they had taken time to do diversity week. Oh, no, or whatever. she get a little prayer rug out. And so she went to the washroom, which is small and has a little two-foot by eight-foot rug. Uh-huh. She drags it. She so did my, get a rug my out. My precious daughter, who's now 11, brings out the rug. Wow, the Daniel, look room, what you've done. And she tells me, sit me, wow. sit on the couch, Daddy. I want to show you what to learn. She got on her knees. Faces Mecca. And start, I don't know which way she was facing. Sounds like Mecca to me. Starts bowing her head into the rug and starts Uh speaking broken Spanish that she had learned in kindergarten. Uh, (laughs) Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Yeah. Uno, dos, tres. Exactly. Up and down. Uno, uno, dos, tres, cuatro. (laughs) But here's the thing is that she showed it to me and immediately... I'm thinking, look, we're going to have it one way or the other. Right. Either we're going to showcase religions or we're not. Sure. Okay. So that's where I am. Like, I'm like redneck mother fired up. Yeah, yeah. And she begins to do it. And you know what she did at the end? She got done speaking her broken, broken Spanglish prayer broken Arabic on a prayer Spanish. rug. And she leaned up and she did what we do every night at prayer time. And she made the sign of the cross. Blah, 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 uno, dos, tres, cuatro. And she leans up, and she made the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Weird. And that's where I thought, I don't like what just happened, but she gets it. She yeah. understands the difference between home. She understands, to use some gross terms, excretion and digestion. She right. understands that she's been asked to look right. at this. Daniel, quick question for you. How do you feel about your religion being referred to as uh, excretion? Well, I understand <laughs> Not the point. what I said. The point is, is that what you want to do is... Funny man, John Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Be here all week. Don't, look, don't forget to it's like the, mm. the school should not be the place where you're learning about life. Uh, you know, about what the, it your, the home. You know, uh, and it's like because like we're learning about religion, right? There because my beliefs right. are different than Jay's does not See, mean look what I did. I brought a kumbaya moment. Right. To this this thing, you know, but I resonate on that because I want my kids like to be raised in a way that is 
in their culture. Mm. That is how Saba, like, you know, and, and there are ideals that resonate with me. Sure. You know, I, like I've, I've converted and there are, I want them to have the same beliefs. And it's like if they're going to school or they're going someplace else, you know, you don't necessarily aren't able to protect them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like, is school the most appropriate place to be learning about God? Definitely not. Probably not. not. You know, (laughs) we're being totally honest. They fuck up every other subject. Why are we teaching them about God? Well, I mean, so far as the appropriation of religion, if that's where your child's main course, like if your child is learning the catechism, uh-huh. And I use catechism in a broad term across all face, then you've lost as a parent. So yeah. either, you know, check your whole card, know where you are, and then engage in American life. Yeah. Is my point. Like I can tell my children, and Daniel, you can tell your children that what the Leesons believe is not what the Claytons believe. Right. But and, and vice versa. Right. But it doesn't mean that. You Man, have I'm to walk around so the Claytons right and now. say you're dirty, detestable people who ought to be the scourge of the earth. Like as no. much as you want to. <laughs> well, <laughs> as much as that might actually be true. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's and, and it's not like I think that's something that like people in our society. It's like because um, we share different beliefs oh, doesn't mean that you should look over at the other side of the fence and you know, like just howdy neighbor think that they're wrong, you know, or or some like there are, there are, there's no right way, you know? So we've been looking for a long time. There is no right way. No, it's, it's all about how you, how you personally connect. Okay. So maybe we disagree on those. I'm not going to look at what you're doing and think that I'm superior and, you know, no, but my whole point is fight, fight is that regardless of where you come from, Humans are made in the Majo Day. Right. To use a Latin term. And they'll come to their own mind. And that's what democracy presumes, by the uh, way. That you can hear a JFK or you can hear a George W and make up your own mind. Right. Based on what you're hearing. Or Trump in right. 2016. Traditional democratic the voters. of ideas, if you will. Yeah, that they made up their own minds. And so for me, you know, to go from like political speak and the preachy speak is this last Sunday I picked up my four-year-old we were reading the Nicene Creed which is the orthodox some what 17 year old creed 18 year old 800 the father year old Creed. Thank you for well, Rich Mullins. Is that when Christ they decided uh, the divinity of Christ? Jesus Christ well, de- decided on what was the theologically right stance right. of the Son of God in the Father? The way I Father, said Son, it was through the Spirit. A little condensed, but yeah. But for me to lift up my child on Sunday, my four-year-old, and to say the Nicene Creed, he can't read mm. what I'm reading, but he can hear what I'm hearing. Right. And for me to be able, for me, that's the epitome of conservatism right now in American life is that I can draw out for him, not just by whispering in his ear for five minutes, but by living for an example Mm. that is, that bears to acts beliefs that we have. And then at the same time, 
be perfectly respectable of other people. Right. That you take in part of the dignity to which the Nicene Creed appeals. Right. And that give people the opportunity to deny the creed, but don't presume the worst about people because they're different. Right. And that's, I'm sorry to bring that up on Joke So Funny podcast. No, that's great, man. I think the question, here's my ultimate question, like, and this is me being serious right now, right? Um, I think that there are going to be a certain chunk of people who are always going to be disrespectful of no matter what the system is, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's me. That's, that's every comedian, you know? Like, our role in society is, no matter what you believe, to try and push you to the level of uncomfortability with the it. The discordianism. Right, right. There's, yeah. there's a certain area of uh, irreverence that we're always going to occupy, you know? Is, is that something that people who are very, I think, like, I think you're kind of a, a pure blood, like, a, a, not conservative, but some, certainly someone who's cut from that cloth of, like, this is the order and the rules, you know? Is that something that you guys can, you know, accommodate? Or is that something that's not going to be able to be accommodated? I, I ask this question a lot with my Chinese brother, right? Because he has the, in Chinese, they say lufa, the, the law, right? And there's a certain degree of irreverence that they won't tolerate, you know? And to me, one of the traits of Western culture that's beautiful is the irreverence. It's, it's the ability to say, hey, I know that this is the established order or whatever, but uh, we don't respect it. We're, we're going to question it, and we're going to make fun of it, and we're going to poke holes in it in every direction. Is, is that something that you feel like your worldview can tolerate, or, or is that something that's exterior? And this is the joke so funny crossover between other side of well, Texas I mean, that I want to so hear. What's so funny to me is how many comedians right now, and I mean that funny, maybe ironic, are blackballed because they have something that they want to say within a certain system of beliefs, but now it's hateful or it's intolerant. Mm, okay. or, like, could you imagine George Carlin today? But how many times on this podcast have you personally gotten offended about something being said well, but that so, was against your beliefs, right? So do you feel like we're getting blackballed by conservative people? I mean, look, so I kind of look at it like, like I'm an NFL defensive coordinator. Like, how awesome do you think you are? Come at me, bro. Uh-huh, yeah. And if I've got a breakdown in the secondary or in the second layer or on the defensive line – I need to address that. Yeah. But okay. I'm willing to, like, still, let's play ball. Yeah. Let's see what you got. yeah all so right. I think there's a gratuitous stuff right now in America. Like, Kathy Griffin is off in yeah. asylum like I think she should be. Now, there are others like Chris Rock or, you know, a whole other lot of level of comedians who've taken a lot of heat right. in this new world order of political correctness. Sure. That, you know, well, let's engage the idea mm-hmm. and let's see where we fall. But there are people. So my deal with comedians is kind of like my deal with podcasters right. or political uh, pundits like myself. If your ultimate means at the end of the day is just your own dime mm. and it's not for a better social improvement of a more perfect union, shall we say, then get the hell out of here. Right. You ought not be tolerated. But if you want to push an idea, and so like the Kaepernick idea or the Nike idea, right. how American is it to kneel? Well, that to me, I know where I fall at the end of the day, 
but it's a healthy conversation to have. Sure. Well, so and, and Kaepernick's yeah. not a comedian, right? But at the right. same time, well, he is what, pushing the it agenda. begs the question of what is American, right? And what's permitted. And so let's have that conversation. And what is like, I, and this is where how I connect is that to question it is to respect it, right? You yeah. know, because you have to question and understand it in order to understand, right. and you have to challenge in order to gain wisdom, and and you know, it's but not, challenge with a logical response, mm. right? And not just say. Well, you're just intolerant. I hate you, and I'm going right. to get on Facebook and blast you forever. And that's American, you know, to, to challenge, you know, respectfully or to challenge logically, to find the answer, like, you know, that enlightened thinking. That's what America is all about, you know. That's what the First Amendment is ultimately about. And, you know, I just, like, the world is absurd, you know. Like, it, there's so much, like, uh, of... Uh, Things that baggage that we carry that maybe like we could do without, and, right. and, and there's so many things that we do as humans that really don't make any sense emotionally or physically. Guys. No, definitely I do, but I mean, you know. Anyways, but you you have to educate yourself, and you have to listen to people that have different opinions, and and it you you need to develop your own myth. And, mm. and you need to understand like where you stand as a citizen and so, you have, you have a destiny here in America and that is controlled by your vote. And so, but you, so I think about this a lot. I think yeah. about how, <laughs> yeah, how That's cozy so it would have been and how maintaining. So if today in America, conservative means maintaining uh, the hierarchy, mm. right? Then how conservative was it in, let's say, the mid-1770s to say, we are giving away our own autonomy to this kingdom across the pond? Right. So we're buying into King George. We're buying into England, Britain, over and over again. But at the same time, every time we buy in, we're giving away a bit of our autonomy. So I, I try to think about conservatism in those senses, and there just has to. So we're sitting here in Lubbock, Texas, where Buddy Holly raved on from and right. raved mm-hmm. against the structure in a lot of ways. I mean, not old enough to really make a real political statement, but others who followed him, the Beatles, right, you know, definitely the Stones, right. and those sure. who came after. But my whole deal is, at what point do you, so in this point of liberty and individuality uh, within the prevailing structure, do you give yourself away to just laying down to the hierarchy like you would have done in the middle 1700s? Sure. Doesn't it mean conservative to say, you know what? I'm going to conserve what I got. Right. I'm going to conserve who we are. And I'm going to, to use the Nike motto, I'm going to believe in this, even if it means sacrificing everything. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to go. Now, I'm in no way calling Colin Kaepernick a conservative. But I am saying that in a place mm-hmm. where we need agriculture and we need public education to thrive and we need health care access to, to thrive, there has to be a point where you stand out. And this isn't just John McCain on my brain, but you have to be the maverick. Yeah. You have to be the Paul Revere the John McCain and say, guess what? 
Mother Truckers, Funny Man. Yeah, John we got to stand. It's time to fight. The joke's you know? not funny anymore. Right. This aggression will not stand, man. <laughs> and taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. And you got to stand up against that. Now, you unveil that within American politics right now. And who is conservative and who is liberal? And yeah. those classifications have completely broken down over the last 20 years. And that's what I love about engaging politics right now right. is that you better be willing, back to the original point that you brought up, John, Yeah, yeah. you better be willing to engage, to engage ideas that derive from a much different p- philosophical stance from which you come right. um, in order to figure out who you are. And if that means that at the end of the day we figure out who we are because my daughter's engaged in idea with a Muslim prayer rug mm-hmm. and then ends it with the Trinitarian sign of the cross, then we know who we are at the end of the day. Right, sure. And I just think that we live it's an existential in a country question for full you. of a bunch of people who are made up of the female anatomy, vaginal anatomy, and are not willing to engage these ideas. And that's always mm-hmm. been the, the, the historical lesson is... Will you engage the predominant ideas or won't you? Because you can always be like the Quakers who go off into the night or you can engage the ideas that are at present and you can become a figure of American folklore. Yeah, it's constantly evolving. Jefferson Jefferson against the Calvinist class in in the founding of this country is a great example. You don't hear anybody calling Jefferson some raging liberal, but he did counter from from a very Jefferson, if I can say Jeffersonian theologically, a deist point of view, really debunked the Calvinist culture in the Northeast at that time in in New England. But now he's venerated, and that's always been the story in this country: is can you stand at your own principles and be accountable before? the maker of men, the judges of society, and the judge of your own conscience. Right. And that's been the American story. And I think that that's what embodies conservatism. Mm. I don't know how we got here, but that's how, where we are. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on the podcast. No, All right, good. send us okay. off, John this Lewis. This is a great way to end this. I'm going to take a couple minutes. This is obviously not your regular regularly scheduled programming but jay is a fascinating guy and like as much as we disagree on some stuff i think like i have so much admiration for what you're doing and who you are and nothing but love obviously for like the thing that you're starting and what you're growing you know and i admire honesty like i think ultimately comedy is about honesty it's about finding the truth in the room that no one else wants to acknowledge but when do you laugh john sims when you really have an embodiment of trust that's when you laugh, right? Whenever kids <laughs> laugh, you can't get a group of kids to laugh unless they really are comfortable where they are. Right. And so yeah. I think that that's a comedian's work is to make them comfortable with huh. place, uh, with where they are and that, who they are deemed to be in that place. And that's where you get the laughs from. But anyway, go ahead. Man, that no. blew John Lewis's mind. I'm Holy looking shit. at him right yeah. now and he looked off into the distance like, 
Holy no, shit. No, dude, I could talk all night to Jay because, like, he's obviously a very smart dude, and he's on his phone now, so he's gone. But, like, I think... Probably <laughs> tweeting sure about covering I love to people shoot out the damn millennials. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Jay that's on his phone all night. tight, skinny jeans, <laughs> The only thing I lack is my cell phone. That's it. <laughs> Um, I mean, like, look, obviously, I, I think that you think very deeply about things and way harder about them than I do. And like, I want to respect that and acknowledge them, you know. But I mean, like, ultimately, I think my role is like my friend Rainey said, where you're the dude in the room who is saying the things that make everyone uncomfortable. And that's ultimately that is that's my job. You know what I mean? But I think what you just said about comfortability in comedy is something that I'm going to have a lot of things running through my head through for the next couple of days for sure because it's a very insightful point and it brings home all of the things that you were saying before so this to our audience like i'm sorry that this isn't like what we would normally talk about on this podcast but it is interesting and i think like if you're an insightful person and someone that cares very deeply about you know existentialism and philosophy at all that it's something that you're gonna you know yeah. be drawn to and thank you for hanging on you know next week Kendall will be back and we'll be talking about dick jokes and inseminating cows and stuff and it'll be great and I'll laugh really hard. But I'm glad that we had this very serious conversation with Jay Leeson. I'm glad we didn't talk about those things. <laughs> yeah. Me too. I want you to be able to run for something in 20 years and <laughs> everything be great. They were like, oh man. Holy shit. You know, what is Stephen Feldman going to think about this? Yeah, I don't I don't think his take, as much as I love name drop Stephen Feldman, I don't think that his take would be as insightful as Jay Leeson. That's you know? true. Like, I don't know who he is, but I appreciate it. No, it was cool. We appreciate you, Steven. We appreciate you, Steven. We appreciate you, Jay Leeson. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Joke So Funny. And, and follow Other Side of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So I can check out this smart guy's program, yeah. Other Side of Texas. He's uh, subscribe and listen to Other Side of Texas if you're, Beautiful. Fr- you know, okay, and then bye. <laughs>